Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. Today, we're uh, going to be taking a break from our uh, Game of Thrones series. We'll, we'll next week be moving back into the book of 1 Samuel. But uh, this week, we're going to do something a little different since we're going to be having um, Scott set in as an elder in a little while. Uh, I'm going to be teaching out of Ephesians chapter 4 from verses 7 to 16. It's one of the passages in the New Testament that deals both with leadership, but it also deals with just a, a good picture of a healthy church and what a healthy church is supposed to look like. That's obviously what we want to be. And so we're going to uh, read this text and talk through it. Actually, today's teaching will be a little briefer than normal because then we're going to bring Scott up and have uh, his ordination and setting in uh, and, uh, and be able to pray for him and celebrate together. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. I'm going to be using the New International Version as always. The verses will be up here on the screen, and you can uh, read along. Hear now the word of our covenant God, the Lord Jesus, the head of the church. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work." Uh, just over a week ago, uh, I was down at a conference in Louisville, Kentucky, I'd mentioned, and it was a conference that dealt with the Reformation in the 15 and 1600s, and there was a big focus on the Reformation, which was a time which God, by His Holy Spirit, was helping us to recover some major important truths. The fact that the church was built on Scripture alone, not on Scripture plus ideas that we kind of added to it. The fact that we were justified by faith alone the only thing you and I bring into the equation is our sin. We don't have anything to add to what Jesus has done for us. But another one that was a big part of the Reformation was actually the priesthood of every believer. Over time, the church had kind of gotten a big distinction between those who were really kind of super spiritual, the clergy, and then everybody else. The problem is, is there's nothing in the Scripture that teaches any such thing. That was more an Old Testament Old Covenant concept that was done away in the New Covenant. And in fact, beginning with the, the verse that we began our meeting with today, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, we're told all over the New Testament that we are a kingdom of priests, that all of us are priests now. All of us are offering sacrifices to God. Um, the priesthood of all believers was an important concept. But the church always has to be reforming. One of the things that the reformers said is we're reformed and always reforming because we're in as much danger of losing these truths in our generation as previous generations were. And so we have to always be going back to Scripture and asking ourselves if we're really walking in the truths that God has given us. And this is one of the ones, the priesthood of every believer is a truth that we are in constant danger of losing. For different reasons. Today it's not because we tend to view, you know, a hierarchical culture and we like experts and we like people to say that they are the authorities. That's not the way we are in the church in America, but we are a spectator consumer culture. And so we would rather a few people do the stuff and we don't mind pitching a few bucks in to watch them do it and hopefully they do it well. But that's not what the scripture teaches regarding what the church looks like 
at all. So we want to go back today and take a look at how the Scripture describes a healthy church, which, if I can summarize it, is every member is involved in ministry and being equipped by leaders to do exactly that. That's the call and what the church is meant to look like. So let's dive into the text. Now, the basis for all of this, is, and this is essential, is Christ's victorious ascension. If you've ever heard me speak before, you're not going to be surprised. This text is gonna be about the gospel. It's gonna be about what Jesus does, not about what we do. That is always central. And so notice how Paul begins the passage here in verses eight through 10. He says, this is why it says. So Paul, who just mentioned about gifts, and we're gonna come back to that in a minute, he says, but here's why I'm saying that. Because when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train, and he gave gifts to men. And he says, what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And so he's speaking of the ascension of Christ. Notice he references it in verse uh, 8 and in verse 9 and in verse 10. I've got it up there in the green. Paul mentions Jesus uh, and his ascension. And this is the doctrine that after Jesus was raised from the dead and he appeared for the 40 days, he was taken up and he is seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning over all things for the glory of God and the good of the church. That's the ascension of Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us here in this text, this is the basis of everything else I'm talking about. The way I'm gonna talk about the healthy church and the way I'm gonna speak of how the church is supposed to be built is only possible because Jesus who descended to die for you and I also was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father to pour out the Holy Spirit, to give the very gifts we're going to talk about, to be the head of the church. And so notice Paul also here, he pictures in this particular text the ascension of Christ as a victory parade. He says there in verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Paul's actually quoting out of the book of Psalms here, but notice it's a parade. There are captives and there are gifts. This is a common theme in the ancient world because, for example, in Rome, which would really do this, whenever a general would go off and conquer territories, he would come back with captives, the leaders of the other people, to show, look, this guy who thought he was a king is now being carried in a train behind me because he's actually been conquered by me. And then the generals would give out gifts to the people of Rome when they would come in in their triumphal processions. And Paul says, here's the mother of all triumphs. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He, he holds all of his enemies captive, and he's going around and he's distributing gifts to all of his people. And Paul says that's the basis of everything else which I am going to say. Christ our King has conquered the enemy, made a public spectacle of him, and given lavish victory gifts to every one of us. That's your birthright as a Christian for all of us. Now, what this means is a healthy church, first off, is centered on Christ and the gospel. If it were not for Christ and his gospel, there would be no church. Now, there would be religious institutions, because we human beings like religion. We like creating things and going through it. But you know, one of the scariest things is, you remember Jesus, <laughs> When he was in Jerusalem with the Pharisees who did not understand the scriptures, they did not understand the gospel, and Jesus told them, look, your house is left to you desolate. The Holy Spirit's departing from this whole deal. But here's what's crazy. The temple continued to run for another 40 years. Made no difference. God's not there. He's not involved, but we got this thing down like a well-oiled machine, and it runs because, quite honestly, we don't really need God to do this. But see, that is not what the church is. If there is no Christ, if Christ is not ascended, if there is no gospel, there is no church. The church is built on Christ. The church is built on his gospel. The church is not a social or even a religious organization. It is the community of those in living union with the risen, exalted Christ. That's what the church is. 
We love in our culture to break things down and what socioeconomic class are you and what, what race are you and now today, you know, which of 27 genders do you want to proclaim yourself to be and all that kind of stuff. None of that matters. The gospel says you are either in union with the risen, exalted Christ or you're not. And if you are in union with him, Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, educated, uneducated, rich, poor, whatever nationality you are means nothing. You are in contact with the living Christ, and therefore you're a body with one another. And if you are outside of that, you may be wealthy, you may be good-looking, the world may be laying at your feet, but it makes no difference. You are not in contact with Jesus Christ. Now that's what is central, and everything else we say today is going to be on this. A church that loses its focus on Christ and the gospel is a church that is sick and on its way to death. Okay? So... This is not, you know, we're going to have a time up here and we're going to be bringing Scott up and he's going to become an elder. Scott is not the focus of your faith. The rest of the eldership is not. Some church hierarchy is not. The organization is not. It is Jesus Christ. And Bay Ridge Christian Church had better never, ever lose that focus. It is always about Christ. It is always about the gospel. It's not about us, it's about him. And if we remember that, we got a good shot at being a healthy place. And if we lose that, we're in big trouble. Secondly, Jesus then gives us a path. The basis is Christ and his ascension, Christ and his gospel. The path is a gifted, equipped church. That's how the church is healthy, is because Jesus has given gifts, and he's given a way for us to be equipped in those gifts. So first, Jesus gave gifts to every single believer. Ephesians 4, 7, and 8 says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why he says, that's the verse we just looked at, when he ascended on high, led captives in his train, and gave gifts to men. The reason, Paul says, one of the parts and reasons of the ascension is because Jesus wanted to distribute gifts, and those gifts are going to each one. So notice, Christ has given grace, he tells us. The word grace there, the, the Greek word grace is charis. The word for gifts that people oftentimes talk about is charisma or charismata. It's actually built on grace. People like to talk about spiritual gifts, but the word for spiritual gifts in the New Testament is actually built on the word grace, not on the word spirit because they are the way the grace of God works in each one of us. And notice he says here that he's given grace to each one of us, but he links that with gifts. This is why it says that Christ gave gifts, because when he says the grace that's been apportioned to us, what Paul means is it's not that there's you know a couple hundred different types of God's grace in here, but it means the way God's grace works in your life and the way God's grace works in my life are going to be a little distinct from one another. And Christ has designed that perfectly as the one who knows you, the one who has made you, the one who knows and is made and is Lord of this church. He says, each of you are a little different and my grace is going to work in you a little distinctly. And we're going to, that's spiritual gifts. That's me expressing my life, my kingship, my rule through you. But notice here, he does not say that the church is healthy because I gave a few people gifts. How many believers does he say have gifts? Each one of us, every last one of us. And in fact, the Greek is emphatic. It is basically, but to every single one of you, or growing up down south, like I did, every last one of you has gotten a gift. Everybody, to be in Christ is to be gifted. There is no such thing as an ungifted believer. It's not possible. It's a, it's a categorical impossibility according to Paul. And this is not just taught in this text. This is an important strand that runs throughout the New Testament. And this is why the priesthood of the believer is important because what we keep degrading into again is, and in our day it's the idea of I'm a consumer and I watch the few gifted people. That's a denial of the basic foundation of what the church is supposed to be. Notice some other biblical texts that teach the same thing. 1 Peter 4.10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in his very various forms. 
Same exact point being made here by Peter. Notice each one, and again, it's emphatic, it's every single one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, ministering God's grace in its various forms. So notice it's each one of you, and notice once again, grace and gifts are linked together. God's grace in its various forms, Peter says, and what he's saying is, is your job's to administer that. When the grace of God works in every single believer's life, it expresses itself a little bit differently, and the call is not to watch somebody else use their gift, but for you to be the best steward of the gift God has given you that you can possibly be. The exact same points that Paul makes. And again, it's the same word, the gift the charisma, is a grace gift. And so if you've received the grace of God, you've been gifted because God's grace works in your life as his gifting in your life to be able to serve others. And we'll come to that in just a minute. Notice in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul, writing to Corinth, makes the same uh, teaching. He says, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So notice again here how many people have gifts according to Paul. Each one. Every single one of you have a gift. But here notice that what is, what is happening is it is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So he's not using the term grace here. Here he's actually using and saying, well the one who who." Uh, works the grace of God fresh and new into your life is the Holy Spirit. And so if you want to look at it from another perspective, Paul says, turn the diamond around a little bit. This is how the Holy Spirit works, and he works different in each one of you. The way the Holy Spirit manifests himself in each and every person is a little distinct, is a little different, but that is important for the fellowship to be healthy. And so every single believer has been gifted by the ascended, exalted Christ. And to say, I have nothing to give, I am just a spectator, is to say Christ is not victorious, he is not the ascended Lord. Hear me again. If you or I say, well, I'm not here as a gifted believer to participate, I'm not here for spiritual gifts to work through me. I'm not here so that I can serve as a priest within God's family is to say that I have nothing to give, I am just a spectator, is to say that Christ is not the victorious, ascended Lord. There's, there's no two ways about it. For me to not participate is for me to make a statement, Christ is not ascended. Christ is not exalted. Christ has not poured the Holy Spirit out. He has not given grace out. I am not a gifted believer. Okay? That's what's at stake in this. Now, if I were to say, who in here wants to say Jesus is not ascended? Nobody's going to raise their hand. Okay? But that's actually what I say when I say I'm here to spectate. I'm here to consume. I'm a, I'm a religious consumer is to say Jesus isn't really exalted and ascended in what Paul said not really true. Now, that obviously makes the stakes pretty high. Now, notice Jesus gave these gifts for a particular reason, and that reason is to build up the church and to make it healthy. Go back to our main text. We're going to look at verses 7 and then down in verses 11 and 13. We're told each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So he's given out, and Paul tells us that's these gifts. And then in verse 11, he says, it was he who gave. This ascended one is the one who gave some of you apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. And here's why. So that all of this stuff I've just said, Paul is saying, is so that the body of Christ may be built up. And in verse 14, I mean 13, he puts it the same way, saying becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul says Jesus gave these gifts so that the church might grow, so that the church might be built up and healthy. A gifted body can become a mature and fully grown body and church. Not an infant church, but a fully grown and mature church. And this is why Paul says this is why Jesus did it. This is his reason. He didn't just indiscriminately throw gifts out for nothing. He did it so that the church could be built up and strong. Now, same teaching 
across the New Testament. I'm going to go back to the same passages we just did a minute ago and show you they're teaching the exact same thing because these same points are driven home time and time again. Notice Peter. Each one should use whatever gift he has received. Why? To serve others. Why am I given spiritual gifts? So I can tell everybody how wonderful I am, right? Look at my list of gifts. I've done all these spiritual gift inventories, and I have all of these gifts, man. You should be impressed. That has nothing to do with what it is. Gifts are always given to serve someone else. Notice the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? The common good. Not for my individual good. God does not give me a gift for my own good. He gives it for the good of the body at large. And he gives you a gift, not for your own good, but for the good of the body at large, the common good. Let me say for just a second, this runs counter to American culture. We are always about number one. We are always about, I want to do things, but I want to do it so that it comes back to me, so that I get good out of it. I want to know how I can do things that, you know, what's in it for me. We have lost the concept as a people of the common good. But much of what we are called to do by God is for the common good. In fact, when you go to work tomorrow and you are fulfilling your vocation and your calling, the primary thing you are doing is saying, God, serve other people through me. Whatever it is you do, whether you're a mechanic, a doctor, a lawyer, if you're a mom taking care of kids, if you're an engineer, or if you're a pastor, it's all the same thing. God is saying, I want to serve other people through you. That's called your calling. And I've gifted you to do that. And so it is always for the common good. But because the American church is so often more a reflection of our culture than it is of the scripture, we've given into the idea that it's not about the common good. So I come see the consumer mentality is the ultimate anti-common good. It's about me. I get this thing. I need this thing. I want this thing for me so I can consume it on myself. But God says, no, I give you gifts so that you can distribute them for the common good. I bless you to be a blessing. Same principle that runs throughout Scripture. And so we are given this to serve others, not ourselves. We are given gifts for the common good. And it's the saying the same thing as in our text in Ephesians, that the body is built up. If you want to think of it just in the body analogy, why does the mouth eat food? Does it say, I'm going to keep all the nutrients just for right here? They're not going anywhere else. It doesn't work that way. Everything is doing things in our body for the common good. And in fact, if one part starts taking everything for itself, we actually call that cancer, is what it is. It's one part consuming everything and growing on its own and starting to take from the body rather than giving to the body. And it's a sign of disease. And so we don't want to be that way as a church. So a believer who is not actively serving others via their gift is ultimately tearing the church down rather than building it up. And there is no in-between. I'm either building the body up or I'm tearing it down. And the way that that's determined is by whether I'm participating in the life of the church and whether my gifts are being used to minister to other people. And I don't care if you've only been a believer for 10 minutes I don't care how little you think you have, you have gifts that God will use to minister to others if we are willing, if we are looking for the common good. To not use our gifts to serve others is to rob the church of Christ. Nothing other than that. To be a consumer is to rob the church of Christ. Can y'all tell I think this is an important topic? This is very important because it's all over the New Testament. Now, the question then comes back, but I thought leaders were here to do something else. I thought I was here, Brett, so I could watch and evaluate what you did. And there are actually little placards underneath. You can wave how well you think I'm doing, right? <laughs> then why am I here? Why are leaders in the church here? What's this about today that we're doing? If we're not setting Scott in to do all the work, then what's this about? Well, leaders are given by Jesus to equip 
and free everyone else in the body for the use of their gifts so that the whole body can be built up. Not to do all of the work of ministry, but to equip everybody else to be able to do the work of ministry. Notice in verses 11 and 12. It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, which I think is really one office there, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So notice what they're doing is they are, Jesus gives leaders to the church as a gift as well. Every individual believer gets a gift. Some of those believers are given the gift of being leaders within the church, and Jesus says, and that's a gift to the church at large as well. Not because they're going to be doing all the work of ministry, but they are given to equip others so they can do their work of service or ministry. The word ministry there is diakonia, from which we take even the term deacon, but it just meant service or ministry or work. Paul's saying, whatever the church is doing, leaders are there to equip everybody to be able to do that work and labor that the church does. This includes all forms of ministry from apostolic work to waiting on tables in the New Testament. Apostolic work's called diakonia, and waiting on tables to hand out the food distribution in Acts chapter 6, diakonia. It's work service. It's whatever we're doing to further the cause of Christ, to build up and encourage the church. And Paul says leaders are there to equip and help people do that. So the primary task of leaders in the New Testament is not doing all of the ministry, but identifying and equipping others to be able to do the ministry. And it's so much better off. As you know, uh, you know if you've been around Bay Ridge for a while, we set in deacons 18 months ago or something, and we said in five of them, and I am wondering how on earth we functioned as a church prior to that. Because trust me, the last thing you want me doing is some of the practical areas in ministry. Amen. If you've been around me with like tools, not my gift. Uh, I actually like cooking now. I might do okay doing some kitchen and waiting on table stuff, maybe. But there's a lot of stuff just not good at. But even if I am gifted at it, you are so much better in this congregation that Colleen Back and Craig Back are working and praying, looking at our mission stuff, rather than just me doing it. It's not because I'm not passionate about missions. I am passionate about missions. I want the gospel out there. But they've been given a gift to do that particular thing. And my calling is to help them and to free them up to be able to do that. That's why we have small group leaders. It's why we got people ministering in all kinds of ways to help the church function. How many different functions do you have to make your body healthy? I mean, there are a lot of them. Let one of them just get out of kilter for a while and see what happens. Okay? Same thing is true in the church of Jesus Christ. And so our call is to help people find their place and to say, go get them. Get out there, do it. A church with leaders who are actively walking with Christ, modeling his character to others, and equipping believers to use their gifts to serve others is a healthy, growing church. That's the call. That's what we are. And so we're going to jump into applying the word, and I'm going to bring Scott up here in just a minute. But before I turn to Scott, I want to turn to all of us. And there's a simple question for you that arises right out of this text. You're going to see that what I'm doing is not that complicated, okay? The question is, am I using the gifts God has given me to build up the church? If you're here as a believer, now if you're not a believer and you've never come into union with the exalted living Christ, let me speak to that first for a second. You need to come into the, to the uh, union with Jesus Christ because you have no hope of salvation. You can't be a member of a church, the true church you can't be a member of without having a relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? I don't care if you were baptized by the pope or the head of the denomination. I don't care if you can trace your lineage all the way back to an apostle. None of that makes any difference. If you have not come into a relationship with God by faith alone, through Jesus Christ alone, you are not part of the church of God because there is no other way into the church, okay? That's the first thing. But if I have done that, if I have believed and embraced the gospel, and I believe that it is true that Jesus lived for me, that Jesus died for me, that he has been raised for me, and that my only hope of salvation is Christ's work, not mine. If I believe that, then at the same time, you've been given gifts. 
And so the question today then is, am I using the gifts God has given me to build up the church? Each one, every last one of you, emphatically has been given gifts by Jesus Christ. There is no such thing as an ungifted, unengaged believer. We've spoken before, remember in missions, you are a radical goer, you are a radical sender, or you are radically disobedient. There is no other option. Every believer, well, you are a radical user of your gifts, or you are radically disobedient. There is no in-between. So, am I using them? Am I pressing into Christ and the local church to which I have been called? Okay, because another thing is, my hand works perfectly fine. If I cut my hand off from my particular body and say, my hand is just a gift to humanity at large, and I'm gonna just set it over there and it's just gonna sit there and be a gift for humanity at large, is my hand going to serve anybody? What is going to happen to my hand? Because how does my hand receive life? From being connected to humanity in general or connected to an individual particular human body? There is no such thing as a Christian who is not attached to a particular local church. To do so is to cut myself off. And the New Testament just doesn't know anything about that. So, am I uh, particularly pressing into Christ and the local church where he has placed me so that I can walk with Jesus and walk with Jesus in the context of others, serving Jesus by serving others in his local church that he's placed me? And the way I can answer that is, when I come, do I come as a consumer and spectator, or do I come as an active participant? And that includes Sunday morning, but it includes the rest of the life of the congregation. Am I pressing into people? Do I get to know them? Am I, am I engaged in learning and praying for them and crying out for them and doing what I can to serve and minister to them? Now, let me tell you something that, that again, goes against the way our culture thinks. This is not a burden it's a blessing. Our culture wants to hear this as a burden, but it's not. It's the fruit of the gospel in our lives, okay? And a healthy tree, fruit pops out. And if you try and stop that fruit from popping out, it doesn't help the vine. It, it binds up the vine. It's not good for it. If the gospel is bubbling up and working in your life and mine, it wants to produce the fruit of active participation, of the gifts flowing through me, of me serving other people. And it does that with every one of us. So it's not a burden, it's a blessing. It's not law, this is fruit of the gospel, is what it is. We are all priests of the most high God. Consider what that means. You no longer have to get on your donkey, drive for miles and miles through wilderness territory, arrive at Jerusalem, and come up to a guy wearing a linen ephod, and purchase and pay for animals for him to go do this whole sacrifice and say, I had to come all the way here to get to the temple, I had to go through another mediator, and I had to do all of this to be able to worship God. You don't have to do any of that. None of it. You are a priest of the Most High God. There is no mediator between you and God except for Jesus Christ. No leader is a mediator between you and God. I spoke to somebody recently that I was sharing with and talking with, and I could tell they, they, they had this view that I was somehow like a mediator. I was between them and Jesus somehow. And I said, let me relieve you of that burden. I am not between you and Jesus in any way, shape, or form. If what I am saying is true, you should listen to what I say because it's true and right. But if it's not, God's not going to back me up because, well, somebody made me an elder one day. Doesn't work that way. I'm not a mediator, nor is anyone else. Jesus is your mediator, and he is more than sufficient enough. And that means you're a priest. And priests are those who prayed for other people, who went before God and, and cried out for other people, and priests are ones who were able to minister to the people at large. You are able to do that. When you go to work tomorrow, you don't need somebody else to be there to minister the gospel to your coworkers. That's why God has you there. 
You don't need somebody else to come in for your family. That's why God has you there. Wherever you are planted, you are God's agent. That is the best news, folks. That is so good. We don't live under the old covenant. God not only has saved you, he wants to work through you. He wants to use each of us to minister to and encourage others throughout BRCC and beyond. And I want to tell you, that is when your soul will light up. When you realize the living God who spoke the universe into existence by one word, chose, condescended to decide to use me as his instrument. He could have used Balaam's ass, but he didn't. He used me. That's the way he decided to labor and work. What an amazing thing. And so I want to encourage us to do that. As we're going to be setting Scott in a minute, this is not somebody else to do the work for you. This is just somebody else to help equip you so you can be involved. That includes everything from a conversation. I want to tell you, there have been miraculous conversations happen in that gravel parking lot. God can use you to do that. God can use you by coming in and maybe you just have a scripture one Sunday that in the middle of worship you just say, the Lord gave me this scripture. I have seen God use that to open somebody's heart. It can be a conversation you're having afterwards. It can be being engaged. We have a bunch of folks right now that are serving as priests of the Most High God because they are taking little minds and they are soaking them in the Word of God. And you have, we have no idea who God might be forming and fashioning right now to carry out his purposes in the next generation. Right up there in one of those rooms. And we have the opportunity to be able to serve them, to labor and to work together. Greeting people when they come in. You never know when somebody comes in and their life is in shambles. And a kind word, welcoming somebody and saying, we are glad you are here. God is going to meet with us today can make all the difference in the world. Are you and I engaged in that? And I want to tell you, if you say, I have no idea what my gifts are, then when the elders come up here in a minute, jot our names down, and say, can we get together and talk so we can help find out what they are and how we can plug in and how we can serve. Here to the farthest corners of the earth. And I want to tell you, it's not just within BRCC. You are on mission. You are on mission wherever you are planted. God has what he needs at your place of employment, in your neighborhood, in your family. It's you. And you are all he needs because he is a mighty God. So what we're going to do with that, we're going to be bringing Scott Ruprecht up here. So if Scott wants to go ahead and come forward, and we are going to do his ordination and then I'm going to have the elders and our wives, if we can, come up with Scott and Naomi. And we're going to lay hands on Scott and pray for him and Naomi. And what we're going to be doing here, and I'll go ahead and give you this, just so you're aware, we have a, uh, a ceremony of ordination. And this is just to break down the specific things that Scott is agreeing about. He's seen these ahead of time, right? So he's not being shocked. I might throw in one or two just to scare him. No. Um, it's not the form of the ceremony that's important here. You're going to recognize this is not unlike when we do baby dedication ceremonies or anything. God has us take covenant vows. And when we take them, he takes them seriously. We're meant to fulfill them, but he also takes them seriously in that he empowers us to be able to do it. So I'm going to be asking Scott a series of questions for him to make some covenant vows and oaths regarding his love and care to serve this fellowship, and then I'm going to ask you some questions and reading some scriptures for you to be able to state back the, the corporate responsibility we have. So let's hear and do this. You've got the mic there. To indicate your desire to receive the office of being an elder, I ask you to respond to the following vows by saying, I do. Do you vow that you believe the scripture to be the inerrant word of God, binding upon all believers for faith and practice? I do. Do you vow that by God's grace you will be a man of the word, studying hard to understand its doctrine, striving to apply it to your own life, and laboring to teach the whole counsel of God to this flock? I do. Do you vow that by God's grace you will live a godly life, 
actively embracing godly virtue and consciously striving to shun sin so that you may tell others, follow me as I follow Christ. I do. Do you vow that by God's grace you will set an example in your family life, loving your wife as Christ loved the church and training your children in godliness so that others may see Christ through your home? I do. Do you vow that by God's grace you will embrace your role as a shepherd of the flock and that as a shepherd you will feed, care for, protect, and equip the flock so that they may serve God as he calls them? I do. Do you vow that by God's grace you will place the needs of others ahead of your own, laying down your life for the good of the flock, thus displaying the nature of Christ, the chief shepherd? I do. And finally, do you vow that by God's grace you will serve in humility with the other elders of this congregation, always striving to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? I do. To the church, Scripture speaks to believers regarding their responsibility to the leaders of the church. I'm going to read a couple of Scriptures. Remember your leaders who spoke the Word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. That's from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 17. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13 instructs us, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. So to the fellowship, having had the opportunity to pray, to seek God, to examine Scott's qualifications, and upon hearing these covenant vows he has just made, do you vow to embrace him as an elder in this congregation, receiving him as a leader, honoring him for his labor, and submitting to his authority? If you agree, say, we do. What we're going to do now is we're going to have the elders come forward, and if I can have Naomi come down front as well, and the elders and our wives, we're going to come forward, we're going to anoint Scott with oil, and we are going to pray for him um, and for his family as well. And actually, if you've got the kids here, why don't the kids come forward too? I know you guys love this. Sorry, it's part of having a dad be a leader in the church, you know. So, and I encourage the congregation to uh, pray along with us. As we've seen, we're going to anoint Scott. We've talked about that with David. It's a sign of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. Scott is already a man full of the Spirit, but we're praying for God to come upon him fresh and new and in might and power as he is ordained. I anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church. Father, we take his time in the church's life to set in a man that has been seen by the church in his function, has given testimony to his uh, life and raising of his family, being the head of his fa household, having his children in order so most of the time. <laughs> We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the sovereign grace for Naomi being his helpmate. Yes, Lord. For the partnership that they have as a husband and wife. They have certainly been a blessing in the body of Christ even before they came here and when I have been here. Father, we consider it an honor to have uh, been with them in their walk with the Lord in their relationship with one another and the friends that they have developed. Father, we believe that there is a testimony that they've they presented as a testimony of their salvation and their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord. That in their life they have uh, sensed the will for their family and made open their family to others in serving the body of Christ and the community in which they live, work, and dwell. Father, it has been a testimony that we attest to. Yes. We consider it as an honor to request that he consider being an elder in the body of Christ here at Bay Ridge Christian Church. To add to the ministry and to, to receive the mantle of that eldership to the glory of Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord. 
We thank you that in your sovereignty that we can see that the hand of God is upon him and that you have equipped him in this area. Yes, Lord. To be a blessing to the body of Christ here, that they would continue to strengthen the church here, continue to give heart and testimony and words beyond the limit of the elders that are here now to expand the leadership to enable the church yes, Lord. to be more vibrant mm -hmm. and more expressive of the body of yes, Christ. Good, oh God. This yes. is where I stop praying and give it to someone else. Yes, Lord. Lord God, I pray that during, uh, during their time of ministry and um, being in leadership, Lord God, I pray that as times come, that our struggles and, and we, as you see people going through struggles and dealing with it, Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength to look to you and yes, you alone, Lord, Lord God, yes, Lord. not to look at the situations, not to look at uh, things going on, but to keep their focus, keep their eyes on you and yes, you alone, Lord, Lord God. Yes. Father, I, I just thank, I also thank you for them, Lord. I thank you for their example and their their willingness to serve, yes, but I, I thank you for who they are as people, mm -hmm. Lord God. I thank you for their love that they show every single day, Lord yes, God. Lord. Father, and that you would uh, continue to grow them close as a family, mm -hmm. Lord, that, that the family would always come first, yes, um, and then, uh, the, then ministry. Yes, um, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you would just strengthen their family, Lord. Strengthen yes, Lord. it, keep it strong, and uh, help them to grow, Lord yes, God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Father, I just pray for Scott yes. and Naomi as they work together in the body of Christ as elder yes, and elder's wife. Father, for I know that they are one in Christ Jesus yes. in a special way because of being husband and wife. And Father, yet even as they have yes. special gifts individually, Lord, they will be working as a team in the local body. Yes, Lord. Father, give wisdom to them. Give them insight. Give them discernment. And yes, Father, Lord. let them be able to uh, think upon what you want responded yes, to the Lord. questions that come up. Yes, Lord. Father, I pray that you would help them as they walk through, Father, and that with the rest of the elders, Lord, mm -hmm. we could continue to build a local body of Christ yes, to the strength that you want it to be. Yes, Jesus. Lord. Yes, Lord. Father, I thank you so much for just showing us uh, who, who you've called to be your next uh, elder yes, here Lord. at this church. Lord, yes, I thank Lord. you that you've given us a man who has a heart not after himself, but after you, after your church. Yes, Lord, we've Lord. seen it time and time and time again, and we see it in his wife and his kids. Yes, Lord. And Lord, we, we believe this is going to be just an enhancement, a, a bettering of your local church yes, here, Father, Lord. because somebody is using the gifts you've given them for the purposes you've given yes, them, and Lord. we're so grateful for that. And Father, I, I pray over Scott and Naomi and just the entire family from a unique perspective yes, as, as a fellow elder who has young kids, who kids in school with homework and unique time pressures that all of our, our former uh, elders have gone through at different points in their lives. Lord, we sit here, and, and I know the challenges that come before it, the compromises that, that present themselves, Lord, and the choices we have to make to, mm. to choose to serve you and to do what you, you want us to do or yes, to Lord. cave or, or do whatever uh, easy route comes, Father. Mm. Uh, serving you is never easy. It's just the way of this fallen world, but it's a pleasure and it's a joy to do so, and I pray yes, that you Lord. would equip Scott with the mindset yes, that uh, when these times comes, he, he would make the right choices, that he would look to you. And, and sometimes you call us to go out and do something we don't want to do. And sometimes you call us to just stay back and, and be with our wife and our kids. And whatever the, whatever the, the example, whatever the situation may be, we pray that you'd keep his eyes focused on you. Yes, Lord. That you would uh, just give Naomi understanding sometimes when sometimes situations present that defy understanding. Uh, Lord, this is a... It's a fluid ministry. It's a joy to serve you. It's a joy to be among your people. It is a joy uh, to, to be called an elder, Father. But we don't do these things for ourselves. We do them for you. And I just pray that blessing and protection would be yes, over their Lord. family, Father, their yes, kids, Lord. their minds, their hearts, Lord. I also know that we, we do become uh, targets 
as well as we all are, as priests uh, serving before the Lord. I pray, Father, that you would just protect this family, that mm -hmm. you would bless their marriage, bless father and, and son and daughter relationships and every relationship there, Lord, that yes, you would just Lord. pour out your Holy Spirit yes, and that Lord. you would edify this body, mm -hmm. that you would make Bay Ridge a better place for your yes, kingdom Lord. by this yes, addition, Lord. Lord. Yes, Father, we just thank you for this couple and for their family. And Father, we ask that you would put a fresh mantle of anointing upon our brother here. Yes, Father, Lord. upon Scott, yes, we just Lord. pray that there would be a mantle of strength, yes, Lord. a mantle of, mm -hmm. of joy in serving, yes, Lord. a mantle that will just enhance his, uh, his vitality mm -hmm. in the body of Christ. Yes, and Lord. Father, I pray as the body of Christ that we would stand and support him in different mm -hmm. times in his family. Lord Jesus, that we stand together as one, and we just thank you for the blessing of this day to see a fresh anointing yes, upon Lord. Scott mm -hmm. and Naomi. Yes, in the Lord. name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. God says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners or yes, sit in the seat yes. of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. Mm -hmm. Father, I pray that the word of God would dwell in their hearts yes, greatly. Lord. Father, yes, that it would God. be a light to their feet. Mm -hmm. Father, that they would be not discouraged because your yes, light Lord. will always be before them. Mm -hmm. Father, bind our hearts as elders and wives together that we might be pillars in this church, mm. that it might go forth for your glory. Yes, In Lord. Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. At this time, I'd like to have the parents of Naomi stand up, Dennis and Diane, Scott's mom and dad. We thank you for bringing them into the world. Amen. Is there anything that you want to pray for them? You certainly can come up here now. We give you this opportunity. You all want to come on up? Just wanted to honor you as the fathers and parents of these two. It's not so much what I want to pray, but what I want to say. God showed me through different people, different things. One of them was, he said to me, don't look too soon for what your children will become. Be patient, wait. And the second one was, don't brag on your children. If they do something good, let someone else come and tell you about it. And I am so blessed this morning to have all of you acknowledge the gift of God that is in my son. And there's one, there's one scripture that God gave me early part of this week, and it just has ring, ringing in my head all through the week. And I say, with God the Father, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Amen. Dennis, Diane. Naomi is our number three daughter, and her name means uh, sweet and pleasant. And when we named our girls, we were very interested in the meaning. So sweet and pleasant. She, Naomi is a sweet and pleasant daughter. And Scott... Well, when you have four daughters, you know, there comes a time in your life when young men start pulling up in front of your house <laughs> in their car. And Scott had a white firebird, and he started showing up at our doorstep, and uh, we never regretted that. We appreciated that, and we could see Scott's heart. <laughs> and... and I'm not sure why that's funny. <laughs> he was doing signs okay. behind you. <laughs> okay. But, you know, when you get a quality young man come courting your daughter and you can hand them your daughter off to a quality young man, 
the who is a Christian and your daughter's Christian. It doesn't get any better than that. Amen. Amen. And so we appreciate it. Now we see where they they are and where they've come. And, and this is just the hand of the Lord and grace. Amen. The grace and the hand of the Lord. So, Amen. Lord bless you guys. Amen. Amen. Father, we are so grateful for all you have done, Lord. We are grateful for the gift of generations. Father, for your covenant promises that hold and sustain us. Lord, I pray for Scott and Naomi that you would come upon them in power by your Holy Spirit. As you came upon David, Lord God, in power, and he was a forerunner of the Messiah, and as Jesus has been exalted to your right hand and poured out the Holy Spirit, Lord, I, we pray for a fresh effusion of your spirit upon Scott and Naomi, Lord God. I pray that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they would know Jesus deeply and that they would show that to their children and to others in the congregation, Lord God. I pray, Father, that you would give them wisdom to know how to be able to guide others and to equip others and to release others into ministry, Lord God. Father, I thank you for all they have done, Father, with the nursery, with Camp Launch, with just encouraging and building people up. Father, I pray your blessings on them. I pray for their three children, Lord God, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit, Lord God, with a, a longing and a hunger to know you. I pray that the faith that has existed for generations in their family would continue through them, Lord God. Father, I pray for a hedge of protection around them as the enemy would look after leaders, Lord God. I pray that you would be their front and their rear guard, beside them, above them, beneath them. Father, that Christ would be their shield and protect them and watch over them as they give themselves to watch over others. And Father, with the Apostle Paul uh, speaking to the Ephesian elders, Lord, so we speak to them. We commit them to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build them up and to give them an inheritance among all of those who are sanctified by faith in his name. Father, we thank you for this day. We rejoice together with them in Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Um, as everyone else can go back to their seats, I did wanna give one or two gifts to Scott and Naomi in behalf of the church. Um, and you guys can go there. Um, and to explain kind of why, why we're doing these, and uh, I have pieces of paper because these are in your email box right now. You saw them, okay. <laughs> Um, we, we first off, we provided Scott with, I had asked him whether he would have a paper Bible or a computer Bible, and it was a man after my heart. He went for the computer program, so uh, we bought him Accordance. It's the same Bible software Jer and I use and gave him a number of Bible versions and some commentaries and everything because central to what he is doing, central to what every leader does is shepherding the flock by the Word of God. If we lose our faith, that's why the first commitment he made was to believe that God's word is inerrant and infallible. We live in a church and, and a culture where the church is crumbling on this. God's word is true. Every syllable, every jot, every tittle is true. God's revelation. So we want him to be equipped in that, to be able to shepherd the flock. And so we've given him some, some Bible stuff to help him to do that. And secondly, um, if you're around me for more than five minutes, you know how important family is to me. Uh, it is critical, and this church has always blessed us, and I will never forget when we as elders and wives were asked one time the best thing we could do for our children, and Nellie Parlett, full of wisdom in the Spirit of God, said, love your spouse, and uh, best answer I've ever heard of what you can do. So we want to encourage you all for the time you're going to be committing. Uh, we've given you a gift card up to Fogo de Chao. I believe you all like that restaurant. I was also, yes. So... Um, so you have that, so please go and enjoy and uh, do that. We are deeply appreciative. And I want to say as well, we believe with every one of our elders, our wives, our gifts that come beside us. When Jeff was the last elder that we had done, and when the day I went and talked to them, and, uh, and by the way, if I call and say, can I come meet with you, it doesn't mean something bad. Everybody gets nervous when I call and invite myself over. It's probably I just want some free food or something. But... But I went over there and I spoke to Sandy the same thing I spoke to Naomi. We consider the wives' gifts. They are, they are huge additions and blessings to what's going on. Uh, Naomi has labored long and faithfully here. If you want to see her most recent thing, in fact, her and Sandy together, I encourage you to take a look in here. Some of us pray before the meeting, and we were really 
excited this morning we went in there. Marty and I tried out the chairs. They're very comfy. Uh, so we, as part of our ever-expanding children's ministry, we actually have a second nursery in here right now that, that Naomi has faithfully worked on. And I encourage you to look at it and please pray for both of them uh, as they are together. This is a good sign of God's blessing among us. And so we want to receive that and be grateful for it. And what we're going to do is we're going to stand together. I'm going to do the word of benediction. And then we'll be dismissed, but we're going to break down and we're going to have a fellowship lunch where we can just all stay and eat together as a community and enjoy the grace of God upon us. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace through Jesus Christ. Go in the blessing of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.